I'm going to read Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Kimmy. Got to keep our mascot handy. Um, so here we are, the Sunday before Christmas. Everybody ready? Um, you can tell just by the looks on your faces as you're walking through the door. Obviously, this is just an additional amount of anxiety and worry and other things that go on. So fortunately, um, we, our message today is right on topic. Um, Jesus timed this up perfectly for us. So, but before we get into that, I just want to hit a couple of things that uh, I think are really important. First, um, I'm just so impressed by how this church is focused on worship and worshiping God in spirit and in truth. If you look back at how this church responded to the first couple waves of the pandemic, and they were just out ahead of everything. I mean, you guys have just always been focused on, we'll do whatever it takes to worship. And I guess I've just been so encouraged the last couple of weeks and months as the tech team once again continues to keep moving us forward. So um, hopefully all of you can hear me a little bit better today. Um, we have some speakers here um, adjusted a little bit better um, to fill in some of those dead spots that are out there. Again, a way to help us to continue to improve how we worship. Um, no one right now is doing this around the cameras, um, which is cool, so we can just see a little bit more easily. In fact, the cameras are now mounted on the sides, um, and they turn and do all these kind of things. There'll be a camera up here soon too, which means um, all of our um, online crew can be connected to what's going on a little bit better here. Because we know as more waves of the pandemic continue to uh, move through, um, as just the busyness of life in the digital age calls us to different places, we still want to stay connected. We don't want to see people disappear. So we know when you can't make it from week to week, we just want you to be able to log in online, um, watch us later in the week maybe, but um, just be connected to everything here. So. But of course, with all the cameras everywhere, you know what that means. It means Big Brother's always watching. So um, I can see you um, when you fall asleep or sneak a little pick in or something. Um, I don't say anything. Uh, Cammy's the same way. 
but, um, but now everybody can see you. So um, anyway, just keep that in mind. It's actually really cool too, um, as you think about, like even our tech team up there, like they can turn these cameras around and they can, they can be seen up there. So even the people at home, hopefully over the next couple of weeks we'll get better and better with this, um, but we're just grateful that this church is so committed to that. Um, and likewise, I just wanna reiterate what you heard in the video that Tyler put together for us. We really are focused on this weekend, um, Friday, four o'clock, six o'clock. We will continue to be as safe as we possibly can with all that's going on. We'll keep our windows open, so if you're coming to those services, please um, dress warmly. Um, you know, we're, we know it'll probably be a few more people, so we're looking at some other options, and we're not quite sure. Um, throughout the week, we'll, we'll just be mindful of um, other ways that if you're here, and it's a little packed that we have other spaces where you can go to where it's, it's safe and we can still all worship together. So just keep an eye out for all of that coming down here. Um, also, Whenever you have Christmas on a weekend, um, you always have to think about how do you manage everything. And so um, with it being on um, a Saturday, uh, when we started talking about this back in the summertime, you know, we just kind of came together as a group of elders and said, let's not have a, another service. We already have two this weekend. Let's not have a third one on Sunday. So that's why we're not doing Sunday service. Uh, but we do hope, as Tyler said, that you will all use that as a time of Sabbath rest. Um, every one of us can use it this season. So um, bring the family together, maybe around the kitchen table or whatever, break open the Bible, and um, just spend a little bit of time together um, and focusing on really all the things that we've been studying and learning and how you're going to think about continuing to respond to all of our calls in 2022 and beyond. And then, of course, the following week, January 2nd, we hope you'll put this on your calendar. Really um, want to launch into the new year um, in, a, in a good way. And so we're going to incorporate our annual business meeting into the service. It'll still only be an hour. Um, but um, we think that's important because that's an act of worship for us. And so um, we encourage you to come. There'll also be breakfast for lunch afterwards. So if you want to sign up for something like that, you can just go online or on the app and you can sign up to do that. So we are excited about all the opportunities we have to continue to worship together. And we're going to stay out in front of whatever comes our way as a church. So um, encouraging stuff, no doubt. So, okay, so today we're going to actually, as Cammie said, close out chapter six in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus continues to turn our world upside down by covering a topic that affects every single one of us. It's something that some of us do so often, we don't even realize how much it impacts our lives. And that's this issue of worrying. In fact, if there were like a professional worrying league, I think many of us could be perennial all-stars, a few of us maybe even MVPs, and it's just part of really living in this information age. You know, it's great to have this phone and um, all this information right at your fingertips and be able to connect with people so quickly, but it also can really stress you out. So you start getting all these beeps and buzzes and notifications all the time. I don't know if you guys had this happen to you or not, but on December 11th, I don't know if you got a notification, but we had an asteroid the size of the Eiffel Tower that was streaming dangerously close to planet Earth. I mean, I didn't know that this was a thing. We got enough going on already. Last thing we need is an asteroid hit. So I go look online, and this thing is called Neros, and it's only 2.5 million miles from the Earth. So that doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but um, Brian could probably tell us 2.5 million and astronomical, that's pretty close, right? Yeah, so I guess this is a big thing. So I don't know if you guys were looking up in the sky all day or not, but. Um, these little things can cause us to worry about stuff that probably won't ever even happen to us. Same sort of thing happens when we go to the beach. Um, that Jaws movie, it just is in the back of your head. And so you're out there in like knee deep water and if you're like me, you're just kind of looking around for those pesky little sharks. So I looked up 
what's the probability of a shark hit? Well, um, it's one in four million chance, which actually seems pretty slim when you do the odds, um, and also when you consider all the other potential risks. So as I was looking up the sharks, I ran across a couple other ones. Here's another interesting one, that you have a one in 500 chance of having an extra toe. So if you think about the size of our congregation, it's about 500 people. So if you look to your left and to your right, probably someone out there, right? Likewise, I found that you have a one in 10,000 chance of having a toilet injury. That's how it's described. <laughs> Meaning you'll need some form of medical attention. So you're thinking right now, I'm sure, isn't this supposed to be about like helping us not worry? Um, and now you're gonna be waking up every morning, counting your toes, making sure one didn't just grow overnight. Um, and of course, when you go to the restroom, you gotta be extra careful because nobody wants to show up on our prayer chain with that as the issue. So anyway, but the point is that so much of what we worry about undermines our purpose. We go to the beach to relax and to have fun, but our anxiety about sharks works against that. Worrying prevents us from living out life the way God intended it for us. So now, one of the most helpful features of this text is that Jesus doesn't just say, don't be anxious or don't worry. He actually gives us three reasons why we shouldn't be anxious and three ways how we can stop worrying. And the why and the how are very closely linked. If you're like me, I think you'll find this helpful because I don't really understand why I worry all the time. I certainly haven't figured out how to stop it. So Jesus starts his explanation about why we shouldn't worry by giving us two illustrations and posing one question. In the first illustration, he refers to our life by referencing things like food and drink, the things that we need to stay alive. And he uses birds to make his point. He says, birds don't sow, reap, or gather, and yet God cares for them. Now as humans, we do sow, reap, and gather, and that's a prudent thing for us to do, but the birds, they don't have the capacity to engage in that form of enterprise, and yet God still provides for them. And then Jesus points out, we are much more valuable than the birds, so God will care for us too, so we shouldn't worry. So the first reason why we shouldn't worry is because God provides for the needs of his creation. He is the creator, and he sustains what he creates. Second, he refers to our bodies by referencing things like clothes and our appearance, things that we need, but also things that we want. In this case, he uses lilies to make his point. He notes how they don't labor or sew clothes, and yet they're still more beautiful than Solomon in all of his splendor. So this gives us yet another important insight about why we shouldn't worry, and it speaks to God's role once again as the creator. God's creation is pleasing to him. He made it that way. In Genesis, after he created something, he always concluded by saying it was good. God is good, and his creation is good, and he endowed each of us with a one-of-a-kind beauty, a unique set of gifts and talents. There has never one, never ever, been anyone 
quite like you before. And there will never be anyone quite like you again. That's the way God made us. And that's why Jesus doesn't want us to worry about how we look or how others perceive us because he made us that way. In fact, all of the anxiety and worrying about how we look actually mucks up our beauty the way God designed us to be. We all know the allure of wanting to look good, but it becomes this vicious spiral. We worry about how our friends perceive us, and then we lose sleep, and we stress eat on junk food, which makes us feel worse. We behave even less like the way God designed us to be, and then our so-called friends pull further and further away, and we respond with even more worry. It's interesting how Jesus uses Solomon to illustrate this point. He says Solomon was wise and he's wealthy. So he had the wisdom to know how to appear and the wealth to afford any outfit he needed to look as good as he thought he needed to be. And yet his adornment paled in comparison to the way God ordained or adorned a mere lily which was used as oven fuel. You see, we're never more beautiful than when we reflect God's gifts and talents the way he designed us to be, even in our rags or even with an extra toe. So the second reason Jesus says, don't be anxious, is because God knows how to adorn us far better than we do. Now between the first and second illustration, Jesus asks this important question. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? And that's a sobering question if you really think about that, because it speaks to our limitations as humans. It reveals the truth about how little we control, especially with regard to time. Now, understanding our lives in the context of time is important because time is the dimension where worry operates. So much of what we worry about occurs outside of our control and also happens unexpectedly in the future. Hurricanes decimate an entire city's worth of possessions within hours. Wildfires reduce homes and our way of life to ashes in mere minutes. The tractor trailer that jumps the divider and wipes out an entire family in a minivan unfolds in a fraction of a second. That unexpected medical diagnosis changes the course of our lives in a matter of a moment. And we can worry about these things all we want, but it won't help because there's nothing we can do about them. We simply don't control that much, especially the timing of things. But God does. He allows our lives to unfold at the rate of 60 seconds per minute, each tick bringing us closer to the end. And as Jesus points out right here, we can't even add a single hour to our lives. So the third reason we shouldn't worry is because it doesn't do any good. We don't control that much, but God does. Now usually, when Jesus says, don't do something, 
It's about things we find appealing, such as gossiping or lust. But does anyone really find worrying appealing, especially when you consider all the medical implications? So to truly understand the physical limitations and impacts of anxiety, I consulted the world's leading medical expert these days. Dr. Google says that worrying causes the release of cortisol, which leads to an increased irregular heart rate, rapid breathing, shortness of breath, dizziness, headache, nausea, muscle tension, elevated blood sugar, high blood pressure, acid reflux, ulcers, and sleeplessness. Now, do we really need to be told by Jesus not to do this? Well, unfortunately, yes. You know why? It's because we want to be in control. You see, anxiety is a physiological response to uncertainty. What will happen to me in the future, and will I be able to handle it? The clinical term is anticipatory anxiety, and it can be crippling. It eats us from the inside out, and it makes our hearts weary. And it's perhaps why the three ways that Jesus gives us about how we are to respond to anxiety, which we're going to look at next, are all focused on our hearts. You see, it goes back to what our hearts treasure, the thing that Cammy preached on the last two weeks. Note also how every reason Jesus gives for why we shouldn't worry that we just covered are all about God. Now, I didn't make these up. Jesus taught these. The purpose of the linked to the how and that linkage is God. God provides for his creation. God knows how to adorn us far better than we do, and we are not in control, but God is. Now, do you believe that? In your heart of hearts, do you believe that he is in complete control, that God is sovereign over all, and that God is good? Because it's the key to understanding this teaching on worrying. And it's also why we keep bringing this slide up. You're not going to stop seeing this slide until you run me out of here. This is just so important because our desire to be in control makes us think we're bigger than God most days. But this image helps us put things back in perspective. And I think it's why we should always stop at least once a day, just like that little guy up there, and just look up. Because when we look up, it helps keep that perspective in check of who we are and who God is. He's the one who's all-present, all-powerful, and all-knowing. He's the one who's the definition of love and perfectly holy. He is the author of truth. Objects accelerate to the earth at 9.8 meters per second squared because he said so. When he created all of this, he just spoke it into existence. He said, let there be light, and there was light. Then stuff inside of us, love, courage, yep, he created that too. God put the entirety of our lives together, from the complexity of this universe to the complexity of our humanity. And so if we know all this to be true, then there's no reason to be anxious, unless we don't fully believe this. And that's exactly where Jesus goes next. He zaps the disciples with this phrase, O oh, you of little faith, liking their behavior 
to the Gentiles, those people who don't even know God. You see, unbelievers have every reason to worry about their needs and wants because they don't know God. They actually think it all depends on them. So when we start worrying about that stuff, we're behaving as though we don't have faith in God and in his cosmic authority. In some sense, worrying is like a thermometer that tells us our temperature. Worrying tells us about our faith. In his book, All In, Mark Batterson says, you can have faith or you can have control, but you cannot have both. So if we respond by wanting to be in control, we're signing up to shoulder a burden, a burden we just aren't equipped to handle. And life feels that way so often, doesn't it? It's simply overwhelming. We can't handle it on our own, and so no wonder that we worry. But if we respond in faith, put our trust in the creator and sustainer, who is sovereign over all, who not only knows all our needs, but is able to provide for them, and he promises to do so. As we just sang about it, our God moves mountains, so there's no need to worry. Jesus wants us to experience the rule of God fully in our hearts by placing our faith in him. So it is our faith that sets the foundation for three very clear commands that Jesus gives us for how we are not to be anxious. Number one, Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom. In other words, he wants us to get our heads up. Stop trying to control everything. Stop worrying. He wants our eyes on him, focusing on the things of his kingdom, humility, loving our enemies, praying, fasting, having pure hearts, all that we've been studying in the Sermon on the Mount. You see, when we live by worldly standards, we begin to compare ourselves to our neighbors and our peers, and we start looking side to side, and then we start feeling inadequate. So we start looking down, and then we start looking in. But as the psalmist says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He doesn't want us looking side to side. He doesn't want us looking down. He doesn't want us looking in. He wants us looking up, putting our faith in him. He's saying, turn to me as the source of your strength, as the substance of your work, and as the object of every one of your endeavors, and I will renew your weary heart. I'll supply your every need. Just seek me with all you've got. And second, Jesus says, and also seek first his righteousness. So how do we seek his righteousness? Well, righteousness is being right with God, being obedient to his word and to his will. I have a coach who's a dear friend of mine, and he always says, when you feel overwhelmed, you just do the next right thing. When things get sideways, the world's kicking your tail, you feel anxiety rushing over you in waves, just stop and do the next right thing. So how do you know what the next right thing is? Well, Jesus shows us when we get our heads up, we fix our eyes on him. Jesus says, follow me in scripture. And when he says that, he means he wants us to become like him, to become Christ-like. So how do we do that? Well, we start by putting our faith in him. 
and then we just do the next right thing. We spend time in the Word, and we just do the next right thing. We take another step. We enjoy our relationship with Him by engaging in an active prayer life, and we just do the next right thing, and we take another step. We walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, responding to His promptings, and we just do the next right thing, and we take another step. And when we stop, and we look back over our lives, we begin to see how they start to align with his will and all that we say and all that we do. And that's what we mean when we say here at this church by taking our next steps towards Christ together. Now, we should not take this to mean that we must stop what we're all doing and go become a monk or a nun. Jesus is not giving us a new number one priority in our life when he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Rather, everything we do in life must have this as its priority. In our work, our athletics, music, eating, drinking, whatever we wear, even in our ministry, we're to seek first his kingdom, get our head up, and his righteousness. Just do the next right thing. And then Jesus closes with a call to a third response where he speaks to this issue of time again as it pertains to our future troubles. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, don't anticipate the troubles of tomorrow. Jesus just wants us to focus on today. He acknowledges there's going to be trouble every single day. But God will also supply the grace that we need to get through it. But again, this requires tremendous faith. That's why it's foundational. But it's also a teaching that is consistent throughout all of Scripture. Remember how as God is leading Israel out of Egypt, and they spend 40 years in the desert, and he sustains them with manna provided every single day. And if they hold on to that manna, it spoils. But if they wake up the next morning, there'll be new manna waiting on them demonstrating God's faithfulness and building their faith all the same. Similarly, earlier in this chapter, Jesus taught the disciples to pray with these words, give us this day our daily bread. We read also in Lamentations 3, here's a situation where Israel has just been conquered by Babylon. They're being taken off into exile. All hope seems lost. There's this impending sense of doom. And this is what they write. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In the midst of exile, enslavement, darkness closing in on all sides, only a remnant left, the writer speaks of God's faithfulness and granting new graces, new mercies, new compassions every morning to get us out of our troubles. It's how he builds our faith. First, we recognize his provision, and then we respond in faith. So we get the manna, we respond by consuming the manna. We get the daily bread, we gotta recognize it, but we also gotta respond to it. And the same thing with those new graces, those new mercies, those new compassions every day. And if you look back over your life, every morning he just seems to do it all over again, doesn't he? And then the next morning shows up, and he does it again and again, and again. Whatever trouble you're facing, stay in the moment, and God will provide exactly what you need to get through it. 
So every one of us in here is dealing with stuff. And Jesus is not dismissing our troubles. He's not calling us a bunch of wimps. He gets it. Maybe today you're sitting here and you're awaiting a lab result or a loan to go through or maybe land a solid SAT score or you just have this healthy case of FOMO, fear of missing out. I want you to have this image in your head to help you apply this teaching to your life, especially this week that's all, with all that goes on during Christmas week. We have this narrow, well-lighted path that leads to the kingdom. It's surrounded, though, by darkness of the world all around us. And we can easily be pulled into that darkness with our anxieties that, like weeds, begin to choke out our lives. And that's why he wants us to seek his kingdom, because that puts us on the path. We get our heads up, and we start focusing on him. That's also why he wants us to seek his righteousness, because that keeps us on the path, just doing the next right thing. And that's also why he wants us to only focus on today, because that keeps us moving forward, so we won't get paralyzed about what might be there tomorrow. Note also how we don't go it alone. Not only does God give us each other as a church to walk together, but he also gives us the Holy Spirit. You see, we're never alone in Christ. He's always with us. Never forsakes us, he'll take care of us. He promised right here in Matthew 6. And remember, he's sovereign. When he says something, it happens. You can count on it. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Please help us to hand over the control that we so desperately want and rely on your sovereignty and your love to sustain us. Build faith in us, Lord, so that we can seek first your kingdom, get our heads up, and your righteousness. Do the next right thing. Focusing only on today and the new grace, mercies, and compassions that you promise to provide each morning. We praise your mighty name, Jesus, and thank you for this word today. Amen. So as we enter into our time of response, we just encourage you to take a few minutes and pray to the Lord. Listen to the song that will be sung here. Words won't be on the screen because we want you to really spend this time in reflection, to let him restore your weary heart, to guide your feet into those paths of peace and to prepare for the week that lies ahead, focusing only on today.